Hey, what's happening, my friends? Dr. Drill with the Making Motivation Podcast. Today is the 22nd of December, 2020. Heading home at 525 on a Tuesday. Hanging out at the office uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for the next couple weeks, you know, for the holiday. Because we'll be closed Thursday and Friday. Just trying to square away some availability to get everybody taken care of before the holiday. Nice four-day weekend coming up, and I am looking forward to it big time. I'm very thankful. I'm very uh, celebratory, feeling very celebratory about people. i got some wonderful friggin' people in my life that are worth celebrating. They are the best Christmas present of all. Just some really fantastic human beings out there. They're very kind and very considerate. And they give me hope about our society. I've always felt this way. You know, there's, I've always been a fan of people. Just, there's some tremendous human beings. And if you're listening to this, you're one of them. Because you care enough to listen to my ramblings. My unsolicited ramblings. As you all know, uh, some of the last podcasts I conducted were about my deceased friend, a guy that I came up with in the Jersey Shore. Um, middle school, we met, we hung out, came fast friends, got in some trouble together, joined the Marine Corps together eventually. lost his <clears throat> final battle with alcoholism, I guess, last weekend, or sometime relatively recently. So the family's trying to put that together. My friends are really in a tough spot. Some guys that, although they knew him and were close with him, I, my estimation, I didn't think that they would be as surprised or as shaken and, um, I mean, the no offense to them, I just, yeah, everybody's got different relationships, so I'm trying to put together a storyline, a bunch of things, first of all, you hear the quote, thank you for the tragedy, it's good for my art, (laughs) right, I mean, that's, it's true, it's freaking so true, that, um, the horrible things that unfortunately occur, they do stimulate our creative selves. You know, they make us think, make us ponder things. And so, well, losing my buddy, as terrible as it is, it makes me appreciate all the friends that I do have and really covet those relationships, hold them close, and be ultra thankful for them. The friendships that I had growing up, fucking unbelievable. I think about my kids and I want that for them, you know. I want them to have these experiences. Just as I have the honor to. So I I did a couple things regarding my, my buddy's death. First of all, I'd like to write a story. I think a book could literally literally be written 
about my uh, my circle of friends growing up and the adventures we had um, and the special times we and the bond that we enjoyed. I think that that is worth writing about. It's among my favorite subjects. I continued that when I was in the Marines with some really close friends. I've been fortunate to have some really close friends. Maybe a, a lot of people have. You know, when something like this, you lose somebody and you reflect upon how awesome that your buddies were, the deceased were. And remember that time, all that shit? I you know, try to have some humility and say, you know what, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way about um, their lost loved ones. And remember when such and such did that, but, and our crew was the best crew and all that stuff. So other people have these relationships and close friendships that they long after and they remember as a lot more um, tremendous than they actually were, perhaps. But this is a narrative that we make in our mind anyway, you know? Like these physical occurrences, they happen. They were, many of them were, were, happened while we were partying, you know, or, or in our comeuppance in our early formative years where we're trying to find ourselves and we found one another amid all that, the hormones and the, uh, the social, uh, groups and our high school and our, the Marines and all the things, all the things that the dreams we had for our future, you know, there's a movie written about this, several of them, two of them, fucking the breakfast club. And then, uh, St. Elmo's fire where, where the subject matter is, individuals coming up, high school, college, and the relationships that they have, and the, uh, the ups and the downs and all that stuff. It's very magical. It's very, it's, it's awesome. It's an important part of our lives, and so we remember it very powerfully, especially when we lose people. But I think there's one thing that I can say about our group of friends, and particularly myself, where I fit in, it is, you know, I would like to think that I was friends with everyone, you know, I was kind to everyone, I, there were groups, you know, like my group, a bunch of surfers, a bunch of, you know, we're not, at, we're not, there was an athlete in the group, there was several of them, but, you know, we kind of were about growing up, and girls, and drinking beer, and, and having fun, and surfing, that's what we did, listening to music, and so these are the things that that were important to us. But I was friends with everybody. I had jocks that I would hang out with. And um, my mother referred to them as my beef-eating friends because we would raid, they would, we would come home and we would raise, raid the refrigerator and all the friggin' food would be gone. We fucking ate everything, you know. Just animals. I think she said that with a, with a you know... Uh, she was pissed on the one hand, but she was also like, wow, you guys are freaking animals. Look at these young men, you know, living lives. There's such an appetite for everything. I think it was a little flattery as well. But I was buddies with everybody. I love people. And that's to this day. I've got a very disparate, very varied group of people that I associate with. I love them fucking all. So I want to write a story about my buds from back in the day or growing up. It's called, it would be called uh, Bros, Brothers on the Bay. 
because we grew up right on the Barnegat Bay in a town called Forked River. And it was the 80s, and times were pretty good, you know. <clears throat> I think the economy was doing well. America was on top of the world, and we kind of just, we ran around and lived the American dream. Lived off the, you know, off the the tail feathers, holding on to the coattails of uh, our forefathers, people who, you know, think about our history in the country, right? Different, you know, some of us were richer or poorer. I mean, I had a pool in my backyard. Other friends didn't have a whole lot, but they, um, we all had one another, and nobody was really poverty-stricken that I remember. Anyway, I just that just supports the, the uh, relevance of my uh, being friends with everybody. There was no socioeconomic anything that held us together. It was just the love, the love of the, of the ocean and exploration and music and um, girls and, and brotherhood, like togetherness, you know? That feeling like, man, we've been through this together. we got the best thing going ever. This friendship is awesome. And so we had a lot of great times. So there's the story that I like to write. And I talk a lot of shit about wanting to write stories and take on big projects like that. And I think I could do it. I just, I need to be able to just focus on that and do that. So please keep me in your thoughts and get, provide any encouragement. I've wanted to write stories various subjects for a long time and I I just get sidetracked you know but I think I can do it it's going to take a lot of focus I also took a tattoo that a lot of my buddies got I never did for some reason um, they got it I guess once we got out of the Marines or maybe before we we left I forget but I think I wanted to get a Marine Corps tattoo I wanted my first tattoo to be in the Marines and these guys got like a sun, a tribal design, so simple black ink sun with a stick figure holding a surfboard overhead. I added some things to that. I added waves that, and uh, I added some detail to the sun. I added a like a male figure, like a Peter on the thing, stick figure to make it a little funny. And... Uh, I've added a pine tree in the background. I did that on a sketch app on my cell phone, which turned out really nice, I think. I like to make t-shirts out of it. I don't know if my t-shirt guy could get that done. Um, so, I've been thinking a lot about my buddy and our times together and our times apart and his unfortunate fate, you know, and since I've run into people who've had their own problems, uh, I lost another, uh, I don't know if you call him a friend, but he was a, somebody I was friendly with, and I might have been a better friend to him, he, guy is a, he's a patient, uh, sometime patient, and a, a an addict, you know, and if I, I know his whole family, and he's been troubled for a long time, in and out of jail. And he just got out of jail, put him up in a in a halfway house in Philly, which I don't think was very amenable to his uh, rehabilitation. And then uh, 
he recently came home to visit. He lives right around the corner from my office. He came home to visit, paid a visit to a friend, quote unquote, a couple blocks away. And uh, he OD'd, fucking died. Uh, a few blocks from his boyhood home. That's powerful shit. Another friend, you know, rest in peace. But uh, another friend, uh, somebody I, I care for, I've known for years, know the family, and he's just back in town, and he he's a bad alcoholic, I guess. You know, he's talking about, he goes, oh, yeah, I've been clean for six days. I got laid off, and I hit, you know, I hit it hard. And uh, he goes, you don't even know. It's crazy all day. I drink, you know, otherwise... I, what happens with folks with uh, a habit like that, that we all kind of stereotype as dirty or junkies or alkies or whatever, the, however you want to disparage them, they, they earn some of our, um, some of our perturbances, some of the anger that we have and the dirty, the bad names we will call them, refer to them as the stereotypes they earn that because on the way down, they cause a lot of strife and and havoc in other people's lives. So that's the most terrible thing. I mentioned that last week. You know, when somebody hurts themselves, well, that's one thing. That's bad enough when you care about the person. But if they they start affecting other people with their dysfunction, it's very disruptive and it can ruin families and communities and whole nine yards. Because the people who are addicted to substances, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they foil their relationships, they lose their, their license to drive, they maybe get thrown in jail, and so they are kind of marked forever by this behavior, and then they think, well, there's no way out of this. So they just keep on going. It's the only refuge they can find, just a temporary fix from drugs or alcohol or whatever, so it's very unfortunate, anyway, the guy was saying, my friend was saying, oh yeah, well, you know, you don't even know, I'm really bad all day long at work, da da da, and I said, I do know, because I just lost a friend to, to this shit, and this is how they found him, and this is, he goes, yeah, that's, I do the same thing, so I'm worried about this guy, and I worry about all, all kinds of folks out there who who have problems. I've had challenges, problems over the years. I drank too much, um, killing pain, trying to find just a little bit of a painless place where, you know, you can just rest, just relax and have a laugh, watch a movie. It's tempting because reality can be really fucked up sometimes. It can be very painful. We wind up doing the things that we do and Whatever, whatever it's work or home life, people are become unhappy. They make mistakes in life, or life doesn't meet their expectations, and so they're looking for a place to hide. Or just like when when I was growing up, this is kind of what people did. Like people went to the bar, people went out in the woods and lit a tire on fire or a campfire and stood around it and drank beer and laughed and carried on and lowered their inhibitions and hooked up. And, you know, had memories that that will last forever. And we did some stupid shit under the influence. But it was like 
it was something that we used. It's something that we did. Hey, who's going to get the beer? You bring any beer? You know, let's get a keg this weekend. You know, let's hang out. And so when you are a young man or woman or whatever, you're trying to find your social... This is what young people did. No, what do you think? We're fucking sitting on the couch reading books, you know, or doing arts and crafts. We're young. We got hormones raging. We're looking for love. We're looking for whatever. We're stressed out. We're trying to find our place in the world. And so we get with our friends and we we drink and we make lifelong memories. But then if you're doing that decades later, now you got a problem. Now it's not so um, such a great memory maker, right? And so we've talked about this before. I'm just going to say that this is the, being the holiday season. People are have different versions of how they're going to celebrate. We're in a pandemic. People are sick. People are, are in the hospital. People are contracting the virus all the time, and they're you know they're going to be cooped up in the house, and they're just looking for something to take a load off, and they're going to be drinking, they're going to be doing whatever. And um, the holidays can be a solemn time of year for many people because they're trying to find out, you know, like how how do I celebrate? How do you celebrate this? What do you do? Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay. I remember like a poster or like a Norman Rockwell sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe it was on a plate or uh, some sort of tchotchke that you'd hang up this time of year on your door and it said, eat, drink, and be merry. This is what people did. So not to license it, not to say it's the right thing to do, but it's uh, booze has been around a very fucking long time. Tens of thousands of years at the very least if not hundreds of thousands of years. The damn Egyptians were making beer and wine and call it ceremony, call it whatever. People were getting friggin' schnockered, you know what I mean? It was a substance that we used. So it was a problem then and it's a problem now. And uh, some people are really, you know, they withdraw into it and it becomes like their favorite thing to do. And then people sell those things, and or they run that bar. Like I was thinking, how the fuck could you be like a clerk or a owner of a liquor store? You ever go to a liquor store where there's like not to stereotype, but there'd be like a an Indian guy in there, and you see like a whole family almost works around this this liquor store, and you know it smells like cardboard boxes and stale beer, and you go in and you get a sense that it's just like they're just selling widgets. You know, this is any this is a product that people want and they're just looking at the dollars and cents of it. But they gotta have the same old drunks coming in every week, every day. Getting their you know, their bottle of whatever. Oof. You know, having been touched by it, it makes your skin crawl a little bit. So, I hate to be a bummer, but that's obviously an enduring um, theme right now with the loss of my friend and some the awareness of other people around me that really having issues with this and then just the time of year. 
It's the time of year when the world falls in love and they drink themselves to death in a motel where they put indigent people who haven't a pot to piss in. Right? That's sad. Um, the office is busy, taking care of a lot of people. I said, I could, some wonderful human beings in my life. I'm thankful for them. I celebrate everybody. I had a couple people show up today, just on a you know Tuesday, where I'm my overflow day this week for the holidays, and then you know people knocking on the door with Christmas cookies, and somebody brought me a a bag of coffee, local coffee beans or from a local coffee shop, mom and pop, that I really like to, I should have been a patron of earlier, and uh, heard good things about, so this young lady brought in some coffee beans for me, other people, big trays of cookies, I mean, just real kind stuff, a lot of love out there, a lot of, a lot of good people that we need to celebrate. A couple other things, okay? Um, this is just, you know, spitballing here. Because I got a lot going through my mind. So I would like to write that book on the on the, the adventures of uh, Brothers on the Bay. I think it would be a good book. And I could make a unique story out of it. I'd like to get that tattoo that I guess I did not get for whatever reason back in the day. Kind of like I didn't get a Marine Corps tattoo when I was in. I waited until I got out. I don't know. Everybody was getting Marine Corps tattoos. I, I, I just couldn't do it. It wasn't something I wanted to do at the time. And then at 30, 40 years of age, I get an Eagle Globe and Anchor, you know, at some tattoo parlor. <laughs> so I like to do those two things. Next, I had somebody come in yesterday, really nice young couple. They're among my favorite um, young couples whom I uh, just have a big heart for. I'm, I'm hopeful for their future, they're just starting out in life and um, getting married and starting their first real jobs and the, the guy is kind of a real man's man, athlete, muscle head and uh, hunter, all that stuff I'm into and he said, uh, uh, I said something, I said yeah you know I'd like to get a t-shirt made, I'm a handshake guy. that I'm a handshake guy in a socially distant world. And he thought that, he took that to mean that I was knocking, um, well, I mean, look, I want to shake your hand. I want to hug you. I want to embrace you. I want to, uh, I'm up close and personal in my work. I want to be able to do more of that and so on and so forth. But he took it to mean that I was like, questioning how we should be behaving and he said oh yeah Governor Wolf uh, he doesn't want us to shake hands uh, yeah, he's a smart man he was seeing if I was going to take the bait if I agreed and I don't agree geez man we're in a fucking pandemic I just called or contacted three people that I know one dude he said he had to cancel his appointment a few weeks ago he just got out of the hospital. 
He's in his 70s. You know? School bus driver. He got it. It put a hurt on him for five, for almost a week. He was in the friggin' hospital. Another friend is in her 80s. She's still in the hospital, just out of intensive care. Hopefully, she's able to get out of the hospital. She fights this thing. Yeah, you know, another couple families that I contacted who had some scares, and I wanted to make sure that they were okay. So this is real. And if I can't, don't have to shake your hand, I, it might be a little bit of a burden to me, but it's not a big fucking deal as long as, you know, I don't, can, we don't pass this thing around. Like, I'm taking this very seriously. And God didn't mean any harm, but I didn't respond and certainly didn't, would never deceive anybody and try to go along with the line of conversation where, you know, oh, it's so stupid that we can't shake hands. You know, men do that. Men show respect and <clears throat> that they're men by a firm handshake and a look in the eye. You know, this is, I've been teaching people about this for a long time. Firm handshake and a look in the eye. This is, this is key. This is the right type of body language, but, and it sucks that this is, um, Disrupting that, but we gotta fucking do what we gotta do. We get beyond this, we'll all shake hands and embrace and swap spit in the whole nine yards. I just thought that was interesting. I read a really good article last night. It was talking about um, some updates about different things, questions people have about the coronavirus, and assumptions that they have about it. Common themes that come up, and it really made me feel good about. What's happening with the with the virus? What we know about it, and what our behavior should be. How about the vaccine? What are we going to do with that? Are you getting it? Or are you not getting it? Fuck yeah, I'm getting it. Talk to a guy who works at a, uh, a senior center or an assisted living facility locally, and he said, "Yeah, they're all you know they they're telling us that they." creating a list so that they can get it because everybody that works in the facility should have it but they can't mandate it but they're encouraging people and making it op- an option I think that they want everybody to do it uh, he said that there were some people particularly the younger people that didn't want to do it we'll see what happens I again I understand the reticence people not wanting to you know be experimental subjects given that the vaccine was rushed but everybody's trying to do their part to get us through this time I doubt that the vaccine would have any deleterious effects beyond some soreness in the arm and some flu-like symptoms maybe you might feel nothing but if it familiarizes your immune system with the critter then it's the right thing to do So that was cool, and that's my, my um, the, the extent of my uh, discussion of the coronavirus today. I have something else that I think is interesting. I was listening to an Alan Watts recording yesterday on YouTube, and he was talking about different aspects. He's always talking about balances, all right? Uh, different ways to look at things. 
Um, as I've said before, you know, you've got good and bad. You know, you know that somebody is a good person. You identify them as such because you know some people who made their behavior is not that of a good person. They're not a kind person. You know, or you understand, uh, you know, the snow starts falling or a storm rages. Um, we understand that because we've we've enjoyed these beautiful sunshiny days where the sky is perfect blue and you know everybody's just running around in a field of green and wildflowers and or, you know a day out on a lake or something kayaking and just a, a perfect day perfect conditions perfect temperature no winds whatever a perfect day is to you you have a comparison because you've weathered some storms in your life, right? Think about it if you're a boater or a kayaker, let's say, and you go out and there's freaking crazy winds and the waves are high. That's no fun. But if you got a beautiful day and you go out on the lake, it's perfect, right? So he's talking about all these balances constantly, and it's like a Buddhist thing that we always have to appreciate the yin and the yang. And uh, he was talking about a way that we can understand the brain, the mind. So I've even said this, that we've got the reptilian brain. Remember when I was talking about that? And um, it's this unthinking, kind of an automatic uh, inner core of the brain about the side of a, size of a baseball. And this is where all of these structures live where they, you don't even need to think. These things just act, so they govern all of our reflex activity. Your heart's beating, your respiratory rate, um, so on and so forth. These neurological structures of your brainstem, they, they control all these automatic processes. If you get dehydrated, this thing tells your body, okay, we better do something or bad things are going to happen kidneys retain water, hey, you might want to take a drink, or they tell us when we're full, or they tell us, give us our, our sense of uh, sexual uh, impulses. So these are all impulsive, automatic behaviors that occur in the brainstem. And around that is the neocortex, the cerebrum, which is, you know, make our brain is so much bigger than all these other creatures, and therefore, I mean, look at our brain capacity, we have so much more computing power. I've talked about that before, but Alan was saying, well, maybe the more important part of the brain is the the old one. Like, we always have this sense, like, oh, that's old. This neo, neocortex is built around the, uh, the that old brain. Well, that old brain, we don't want to be behaving with that because it doesn't, we don't consider things. We just act. So, if you're angry, it's you know, somebody's chronically angry or um, ill behavior, you know, people have uh, neurological conditions where these deep brain structures are affected. They're just very impulsive, and these are the criminals and uh, insane people and so on and so forth. They're not thinking. They're not highly evolved. But maybe the older part of the brain, Alan thinks, is the better part, the one that doesn't even need our input. That it's already got things figured out. It's so evolved. It's so efficient that it just behaves. It doesn't even require us 
to do anything. Like, maybe that's the more special part of the brain. I mean, I've even... Um, in, in my teaching anatomy and, and the anatomy of the nervous system, I will often say that. Well, the brainstem, anytime I talk brainstem, you're thinking automatic processes, uh, your vital signs that you check. You know, what is somebody's heart rate, respiration, blood pressure? These are mediated by the brainstem. And that's all they do. All unconscious reflexive activity. But what that means is you don't need to think about breathing or your heart rate, or your temperature, or your pulse, your respiration. Right? And so, it's very interesting, uh, that point of view. That we always talk about things as good or bad, binary, right? It's either one or the other. Because that's easier for us to understand. When in fact, um, it's not either or. It's not good or bad. It's not black or white. But we always, you know, we, we, we think of ourselves as very advanced creatures, highly evolved. And maybe we don't have it all figured out, right? So I thought that that was interesting. Let me grab a couple more things here. See if I can pull these off of the friggin' my word pad here. Where are you at? There we go. My list of ponderances. Oh, I called that in, that uh, conversation with uh, my buddy there called Blue Collar Comedy because uh, he was trying to connect with me around how ridiculous our, our uh, governor is imposing all these restrictions. Um, I also listened to a um, conversation, a, a, a lecture by Jordan Peterson on Jung's archetypes. And he was talking about Pinocchio as an analogy and how a lot of these older things, even this cartoon, that there are um, There is symbolism involved in the behavior of Pinocchio and Geppetto and so on and so forth. Um, another thing that Alan says is that you can't control what you're interested in. The things, you know, most of us think we can, like we're under control and we're, again, this is about free will. Like, are we in ultimately controlling or do we have an influence over our thoughts and our actions? And he's saying that we don't necessarily. And that the things that direct you as a being are directed by other forces. You don't dictate them, he says. Uh, and then another way that he was talking about um, that, that um, yin and yang. He's talking about movies. You know, people think it uh, in truth versus, or nonfiction versus fiction. So people say, and especially me, I'm big with um, nonfiction. Like, I love facts. I love concrete. I love evidence. I, I like the, the notion that there's some kind of rules, some things that we know 
as a result of living on this earth and evolving and being the premier species, that, or at least a species that is in control of this earth. We are dictating a lot, like our actions, our behaviors are dictating a lot now. So even though we might not feel like we have a say in, in what occurs, our, in, our impact of the way we behave is influencing this earth. It has transformed it and will continue to do so. And a lot of that's going to be in a negative way. We're not careful. So it talks about movies and, and how uh, movies are actually, people think, oh, it's a fiction, it's, it's, that's not real. When he said the movies are some of the realest things you can think of because they are stripped of trivia. Movies are like life stripped of trivia. So there's none of all the little incidental things that occur. None of that is even matters. Like in a movie, you cut to the, you know, the action. Give me a story, give me a quick, give me that, you know, all that emotion, all the characters, the setting, the the high drama. We distill it all out. And so movies are they they give us the, you know, the nut. They give us the what the, the action in a very clean storyline. And so if you really look at life, life has all these little details involved. And so movies and fiction, um, what we call fiction or the unreal, we think of it as devoid of, of, of facts or, or reality, when in fact it is, pun intended, it is it's everything that we want to see. It's everything that, all the emotion, all the drama that a human being craves. And that's why it makes for great entertainment. So I thought that was interesting, particularly the way he put it. And he, he, he went further and he said all the characteristics, for instance, that, um, like, how do you know if you're watching a movie... The characteristics of a villain, for instance. So he's saying that a villain, uh, a lot of these, uh, the archetypes of a villain or a hero, you could look at them in, in God versus Satan, right? And how God represents everything that is absolutely good and perfect about humanity. And villains, it's everything, all the bad things you could possibly think. That is Satan. And so it says all the characteristics which which make up a villain or a hero, they are embodied. Come on. Embodied by these deities. God versus Satan, Cain and Abel, all these storylines, story the hero's journey. That's what's going on. So these archetypes are really interesting and important. You find them throughout history, of course, and before. This is what we did. We told stories. Um, He also follows up and says, To be human is to be storied. We are narrative creatures. And uh, 
this was uh, Dan Carlin that added on the Lex Friedman podcast because we're so storied and so narrative driven that is these narratives are so easily hijacked that's what we're seeing right now The, the hijacking of narratives With the news cycles, with the 24-hour news cycles, they are uh, desperate. You know, they, this is how they sell things. Markets tap into, um, they tap well into the narratives that we ascribe to. And so how interesting is that when you really think about it? That's all that's going on. We are, we are being hijacked our tendency to um, to think along a certain storyline, uh, many of which we are um, we are well acquainted with, the allegories that are presented in our you know, favorite Bible verses or whatever the tenets of our religion are, stories that are told, Jonah and the whale, or uh, Jesus of Nazareth, or Moses parting the Red Sea or whatever's going on there, well, these archetypes are used to drive the storyline. And so I just think that's very interesting. And the, that final uh, statement about how narratives can be hijacked, that is truly incredible. And that is a fact. That's what's happening all day long as we read the news and we try to understand things. Um, we see things through these narratives and we should take much offense that the media is trying to, and our figureheads, political figureheads, are trying to um, to drive these narrative, use these narratives, use them to manipulate us. Huh.